that storm, if you remember, we had sustained temperatures below freezing at DFW Airport for something like 140 hours. Yes, that storm. The one in February 2021 that left more than two-thirds of Texans without power and killed at least 210 people. What everyone wants to know this morning is when will the power be back on? I think it would be pretty hard to forget your storm experience. For me, my husband and I had just gotten married. So we had just moved into a new home, we didn't have a lot of stuff yet, and it's an old house, so it is drafty. I remember sitting there in the dark, listening to the wind whistling outside. We call it the happy ghost because it goes woo, woo. And uh, the snow kept blowing in through the cracks in the doors. We were trying to block it with towels and blankets. I think we were without power for two or three days. During that time, we just kept our fire going constantly, hung out in the living room, did whatever we could to keep as warm as possible. In the aftermath of the storm, heads rolled and regulatory energy agencies and lawmakers vowed to make sure a similar disaster would never happen again. But have they actually made good on their promise? It depends on who you talk to, right? I mean, Governor Abbott said when the legislation was signed to improve grid reliability that he felt everything that needed to be done has been done. When you talk to others who look at the industry and even some inside the industry, they say, yeah, you know, we've made a lot of progress since the legislation. However, there is still some skepticism among experts that we talk to about whether we would have few problems or no problems if we saw a storm on the magnitude of what we had in 2021. I'm Bailey Friday and Texas wants to know, would the power grid really hold up in another severe winter storm? It's impossible to grasp the extent of what happened without a little background on what makes the Texas grid different from the rest of the country. To help us out, I talked to Allison Silverstein. She's an energy consultant and a former advisor to the chair of the Texas Public Utility Commission. If someone didn't know before February 2021, they definitely know now that Texas power grid is deregulated. So what does that mean exactly? Deregulation for the power grid does not mean no regulation. It means that a bunch of the pieces of the grid have been split up and are regulated in different ways and to different levels. We still have cl extensive classic regulation of the utilities, which are essentially now just transmission and distribution wires companies. So they deliver power and they send out bills, but they no longer generate electricity or no longer have a one-to-one -one relationship with retail customers. Let's be clear that this is only within the ERCOT, which is the grid management system that serves 90% of Texans and 75% of the Texas geography in terms of the utilities having generation and transmission and distribution and retail relationships all within one corporate entity and all regulated by the Public Utility Commission of Texas. Let's stop right there. 
Silverstein talked about a couple of organizations that play a role in how the power grid runs. The Public Utility Commission and the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT. Russell Gold is a senior editor of Texas Monthly who covers energy and explained those groups in an interview last February on the one-year anniversary of Winter Storm Uri. Public Utility Commission are governor appointees. Uh, this time last year, there were three of them. They're now five. Uh, they set uh, policy, electrical policy for the state of Texas. Um, are we going to go out and build more transmission lines? How much will we pay uh, companies for them? You know, basic things like that. They are the electric regulators. About 20 years ago or so, the state created something called ERCOT, which is a nonprofit. It actually runs the grid. It does the the minute by minute work of saying, okay, you power plant, you have to go on, you power plant, you stay off, we need this much power, and this is how much we're going to pay you. In a nutshell, PUC sets the policy, ERCOT runs the the minute by minute grid that keeps all of our uh, iPhones charged up and our radios working. Back to ERCOT, the generators are the, the entities that own and operate power plants and sell into the ERCOT competitive market or have bilateral contracts to sell directly from the generator to a customer, whether that is a retail electric provider or an independent customer like, like a, an Amazon or a Google or an industrial steel company, for instance. So the generators compete against each other and they sell directly to customers, but a lot of the pricing rules go through the ERCOT centralized market for electricity. And then there's the retail electric providers, and those are the entities that actually sell, buy electricity and sell it to us as end users. And that's small commercial customers, us as retail customers. And there are a lot of companies that are independent and set their own rules for offer different products. And we as retail customers can choose between who we want to buy from and what kinds of power we want to buy. Texas has over 200 different competing retail electric providers. So. Okay, that was the best answer. <laughs> I'm going to lie down now. <laughs> We now know what deregulation is, but why is the Texas power market deregulated? And there were the expectation that if we introduce more competition, we could save a lot of money for customers and get different results by freeing up innovation as well as competition. And so there was aggressive effort and lobbying by the potential generation owners, particularly by industrial customers, in Texas and across the nation and that we're looking for lower cost electricity. The Texas energy market was deregulated in 2002. Silverstein served as senior advisor to the chair of the Public Utility Commission from 1995 to 2001. So she was on the ground in Austin as years of lobbying and negotiations were taking place. So in 95, the Texas legislature took a run at doing full deregulation or competition of the entire Texas grid, but could only get as far as getting open access transmission tariffs for competitive generation. 
And then in 97, the Texas legislature passed full competition of the electric industry so that they separated out the utilities into generation versus transmission and distribution versus retail. That bill was really carefully crafted not just to say, I'm going to separate out these pieces to increase competition, but it included a ton of protections for customers. It included protections for competitors. Mm-hmm. And it included benefits for everybody who was in Texas as a stakeholder. She says those benefits included energy efficiency commitments and a fund to subsidize electric costs for low-income customers. Do you think lawmakers would consider regulating energy again in Texas or strengthening connections between the Texas grid and the rest of the country? Yeah, let's separate those out into two different issues. Should we build transmission to other parts of the grid, to neighboring the West and the East and the North? And the answer is absolutely yes, because the magnitude and risks of the storms that we have seen in the last two years and the heat waves means that ERCOT could stand a lot safer if we can connect to other grids and import power when we need it. But also, it's an extraordinary opportunity for us. Texas is a powerhouse in terms of of electric wind and solar generation, and we could make a fortune exporting that. And when it comes to classic regulation? I don't think it's possible to ever put that toothpaste back in the tube. We have done, as an industry over the last 20 or 30 years, We have done such a good job at increasing the amount of generation available and and increasing the number of players, building transmission, building new generation, the kind of inventive, innovative, and competing offers from retail electric providers has saved everybody a ton of money and really transformed the way that our grid operates today, as has the technology of new solar and home efficiency and grid electrification and all of that, it's impossible to see how one company like a classic utility could do that. And it's impossible to think about how we unwind or stuff all of those relationships back into something that used to be the old model no longer works. Scott Friedman is the senior investigative reporter at KRLD's media partner, NBC5. He spent months after that winter storm following the changes taking place at ERCOT and the PUC. I think it's important to go back and understand what the situation was from a regulatory standpoint prior to the 2021 storm. Before that storm, there were no state regulations. In fact, there were no federal regulations that required power plants to do specific things to winterize, to to protect their equipment against the cold to a certain standard. And so when that storm happened, it was at a point where really it was left up to the electric plant operators to decide what they were going to do to protect their equipment against the cold. And in fact, when we investigated and started digging into the state data, the ERCOT data, looking at the prior storm to 2021, we found many of the same plants that had failed 10 years earlier in a much less severe storm were ones that failed again in 2021, which maybe was not an an unexpected result given the fact that the storm was, was so much more severe. So what's happened now from a regulatory standpoint is the state has put standards in place. Some of the, the most important measures that that ERCOT implemented pursuant to legislative and public utility commission direction were first that all of the power plants had to be weatherized. 
specifically winterized against very cold temperatures and higher winds of the kind that we had during Yuri and the 2011 severe Arctic event. If you don't remember, that storm hit the week AT&T Stadium in Arlington hosted Super Bowl 45. Area roads were iced over for days and parts of the state experienced rolling blackouts just as the national spotlight shined on North Texas. I was a freshman in high school at the time, so I was just enjoying my snow day. <laughs> I was definitely not aware of the detrimental effects the weather was having on the state and the state's reputation. And what we saw was that all of the power plants did make those winterization changes. Not everybody, most of ERCOT does inspections. It did those inspections in 2022, based on the 2021 first pass standards. And it appears that everybody in the power generation field has actually invested aggressively in, in winterization. Gold explained how the power situation worsened so quickly in February 2021, leading to rolling blackouts, and you can't see me, but I am doing air quotations around rolling blackouts, because they didn't always roll in certain parts of the state. And in a situation like that, they don't have, uh, they basically don't have a choice. And so somebody in the ERCOT control room picked up the phone. It's sort of the hotline phone. It connected with the four, 14 different companies around the state. And, and they said, it's time. We need to institute blackouts in order to control the grid. And so they, they called for the first set of blackouts. I forget exactly how many, 2,500 megawatts. And, and all throughout the state in Houston and Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, other places, College Station, they knew exactly what percentage of those blackouts they needed to, to, to execute. And they started turning off the circuits in different neighborhoods, shutting down power, reducing uh, the demand on the grid in order to bring it back into balance. The problem is it didn't work because the situation kept getting worse. I suppose it, it worked, but the situation kept deteriorating. The other thing that ERCOT has done is to require that much more power plant capacity is available before we have a weather disaster so that there are more plants that they can call on to show up quickly. And since ERCOT has not managed to improve it's load forecasting for extreme weather events, either heat or cold. They, they keep under forecasting how much we're going to need. But the fact that they have far more generation online and demand response available to meet that load means that we did not have a disaster. One of the things that the, the legislature said and the PUC ultimately said through its rulemaking was that these plants had to fix anything that didn't work in the 2021 storm. So they had to deal with those issues. And as we've talked to electric plant operators across the state since then, they tell us they've invested millions and millions of dollars in upgrading their equipment and making sure that things would operate better in very cold temperatures. We did reach out to several representatives who served on the House Energy Resource Committee last session. They all either declined comment or they didn't respond to our interview requests. And it's not like we haven't already experienced cold weather this winter. Silverstein says the grid held up really well the week leading up to Christmas, when much of Texas experienced those low temperatures in the teens, even the single digits. The part that worries me, though, and that should worry you, is that while the two things, the first is that, that while the power plants have been winterized, the gas system has not. 
and and we have not don't have a lot of evidence. We saw a lot of gas production cut before winter storm Elliott. We did not see pipelines or or gathering systems fail, but we have minimal visibility into that. The other thing that we have not done is we have not winterized customers. And the way to protect customers from these kind of events is much more aggressive energy efficiency. So after the 2021 storm, you had sort of this chicken or the egg debate that developed between the electric companies and the natural gas suppliers. And the gas suppliers said, hey, we couldn't provide enough gas to the electric plants because the electric companies cut off our power. But the electric companies were saying we couldn't generate enough electricity because we couldn't get enough natural gas. And so th- this is a debate that went on, you know, and, and really continues today, you know, in, in the industry, looking at, you know, how much does the natural gas system uh, need to also winterize? The Railroad Commission in Texas that regulates natural gas is also stepping in and implementing tougher regulations that would require critical um, well operators that supply gas and pipeline companies that supply gas to electric plants to do more to winterize. And, and you know, experts that we talk to say that should help too. Again, the question remains, if we face that tougher storm, a more severe storm like what we saw in 2021, how would the overall system fare? Aside from tougher regulations on power plants, new leadership was also installed at the PUC and ERCOT. I think in the legislature, I mean, there was no question that uh, there, there was a, a consensus that there needed to be change at the top, that you could not provide confidence to people in the state if you had the same leadership going forward. I think that was sort of heard universally from lawmakers in the hearings that happened right after the power outages. One of the major changes that happened was at the time of the big storm in 2021, ERCOT uh, board of directors members didn't have to live in the state. And there was some outrage across the state about the fact that many of them didn't even live in Texas, were not suffering through the winter storm. Let me put it this way. It, I, I don't know that it's clear that that was a contributor to the fact that we suffered outages, the fact that these directors live in, in other places, but it was an aggravation to some in the legislature and to many consumers across the state that, that some of these directors were not from here, did not live here, and did not sort of share in the pain or, or uh, maybe have the, um, the, the same you know, stake in the game, uh, so to speak. There have been changes, not only on the board of ERCOT, but also at the top. Brad Jones stepped in as interim CEO for a year and a half. That's before Pablo Vegas was hired in October. Vegas comes to Texas from an Indiana-based power company that serves six states in the Midwest. The leadership of the Public Utility Commission also turned over with Peter Lake as the new chair. If you listened to last week's episode of Texas Wants to Know, you know that late last year, Texas joined California as the only state with more than 30 million residents. That is huge. And while that growth is obviously great for the state's economy, it could put a lot of stress on our power grid. With the state's population growing so rapidly, what should energy providers be doing to prepare to keep up with this increasing demand? We need to build a lot more generation, but particularly we need to, and we need to manage the grid more effectively. We are still learning how to do that. But we also need to be extraordinarily aggressive on energy efficiency, as I said, and make sure that all of the new homes and businesses that we're building have 
high efficiency building envelopes and, and high efficiency appliances like air conditioners and heaters. But we also need, there are over 13 million homes and premises in, in Texas, and a majority of them are deeply inefficient in terms of both their, the building quality and the energy appliances. And so we need to be aggressively replacing those to get more, to be able to lower the amount of electricity that we use at every time of day and to make our electricity use more nimble and flexible so that we can use all these buildings and appliances to support grid operations rather than just be an independent disaster in the making. The other thing that's still under discussion in this state is sort of this redesign of the electric market. One of the things, the challenges that Texas faces, and it's not just Texas, this is really a a national and international issue right now that the electric industry is grappling with is, how do we make this transition as we use more wind and solar power? How do we rely on those things more heavily, but then also have backups for you know, days when the wind isn't as strong, uh, the sun isn't out because there's cloud cover. And so that's one of the key things that's, that's still being looked at is how do we provide that backup? Look, when you, you talk to experts who study green energy, they point out wind and solar are a tremendous benefit to Texas on so many days of the year. I mean, in this in the summer months, when air conditioners are cranking and there's huge electric demand, wind and solar power often you know, come to save the day for the state. They provide that extra boost that we need to get through those days. There are times in the winter where you know, the wind isn't going to be as strong, the, the sun isn't out, and you're going to have more challenges. And so how does the state provide a backup and and incentivize, you know, the construction maybe of other plants that, you know, like natural gas fueled plants that can provide a reliable backup in those situations when we face things, you know, like a a big winter storm. And because of the abundance of solar and wind in the state, the incentive is not there as much for electric companies to build new natural gas, you know, fueled plants um, that can be that reliable backup. We have the opportunity to participate in energy provision by installing smart thermostats, by by putting on PV and storage, by how you charge your electric vehicle, by when you run your washer and dishwasher. I know that that some Texans view this as threats. I've seen the ads about, you know, you'll pry my air conditioner control out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> That's really not the right way to think about it. We all have the opportunity to keep each other safe and mm-hmm. to protect our own bills and electric charges by using electricity more smartly and by participating in how the grid as a whole operates. And I encourage people to view that as an opportunity and a challenge rather than as a threat. I'm Bailey Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you so much for joining me on our podcast, Texas Wants to Know. If you liked the show, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was written and produced by Chris Blake and Savannah Jones. Original music by Michael Eisenstein. Editorial support from Cooper Mall. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan.